Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Every year, right around this time, the reality of running a small firm starts to show itself. The kids are back in school. Everyone is back to their normal routines after a long summer season. The clients, our clients are eager to see progress because, well... Christmas is coming. Your financial targets start to get more and more important as the new year gets closer and closer. It's stressful being a small firm architect, no doubt. As a small firm architect myself, after years of living with stress and anxiety, I've learned to plan my year early enough to make progress from day one, starting my year from January 1st with a plan. And I stay ahead of that stress and anxiety all year long. Stress is caused by the feeling of chaos and the lack of control. When we don't have a plan, we don't know where we're going and we don't know how we're going to get there. And I think that's why so many of us struggle with the stress of being a small firm architect. We don't spend the time to plan our year. And if we do have a plan, we're so overwhelmed with all the roles and the responsibilities that we have as business owners that we stress over how it's all going to get done. Well, that's why I developed the Integrated Life Workshop. It's an intensive five-week online program where I will work with you directly to help you plan for 2020 and teach you a proven productivity system that I use for myself to make the progress that I plan for every year. It's how I'm doing everything I'm doing and how I'm getting done what I'm getting done here at Entree Architect with my small firm, with my recent move from New York to North Carolina, with my family, everything that I'm doing, this is how I'm doing it. I'm living a successful integrated life, an integrated life, and I want to show you how you can too. Join me starting on October 1st for the Integrated Life, a planning and productivity workshop for small firm architects. 
Enrollment was scheduled to close tonight, Friday, but we've decided to extend it through the weekend. So registration will close on Monday, September 23rd, 2019 at midnight. So you only have a few days to get into this workshop. Don't delay right now. Don't let another year go by filled with stress and anxiety. Enroll now at entrearchitect.com slash life. That's entrearchitect.com slash L-I-F-E. Don't let another year go by. Join me at the Entree Architect Integrated Life Workshop. EntreeArchitect.com slash life. My name is Mark R. LePage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 289, and this week I'm speaking with a longtime friend, Robert Swinburne, the Vermont architect himself, and he's sharing his story of struggles and success as a rural residential architect. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM specifications, and so much more at RCAT.com, FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure, spend less time on accounting and more time doing the work you love, and Gusto, easy online payroll, benefits, and HR built for the modern small business. Robert Swinburne, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Hey, Mark. It's good to have you here, Bob. This is, this is a, a long time coming. You and I have been friends for a very long time. Uh, we went to architecture school together. We started as... Actually, did, did you start as a freshman when I started as a freshman? Well, it was a, I had already gone to school for a few years, yeah. um, and so I came in as a transfer, but as a freshman. So it was as a freshman. So, so um, we went to Roger Williams University together in uh, Bristol, Rhode Island. Uh, everybody says, well, where's that? I say, if you draw a line between Providence and Newport, somewhere in the middle, is Bristol, yep. right on the water. It's a, it's a beautiful campus, a great architecture school, and, uh, and a really great uh, our class, Bob and I were just talking about this off, off the air, uh, we, were, we, were, we were very close during school, and we've continued to be, be very close uh, as friends you know, after architecture school 25 years later. And so uh, it's, uh, it's, and Bob and I have been pretty connected all, all the way through. Um, you know, the, the world that we live in today with technology and the communication tools we have um, even the ability to have this conversation today, um, I think a lot of people take it for granted, and uh, I'm, I'm sure the, the the younger generations just this is just life. But uh, you know, guys like Bob and I, uh, we didn't grow up with this. This is this is a, uh, a I, I love the fact that we have the ability to stay connected and communicate on a regular basis. Um, Bob's an architect in um, Halifax, Vermont, so he's a rural architect. Um, and he, uh, stays very active on social media and on, in Instagram and on Facebook. Um, and he's a moderator in the Entree Architect community. So I get to communicate with him every day inside the, the private Facebook group we have for the community. 
Um, and so he's an, he's a contributor to the community as well. So, uh, Bob, I wanted I wanted to just sort of do that sort of brief intro and then let you dive into your origin story because I, I don't even know your origin story. Um, so go back to where you discovered architecture, what inspired you to become an architect, and then just give us that story to where we are today, and then we'll have a great conversation about living out in uh, in rural v- Vermont trying to be an architect. Okay, trying to be an architect. <laughs> um, yeah, I just wanted to say, you know, we got out of school in 1993, right. and there was no internet connectivity. We kind of all went our separate ways, and, you know, we made phone calls to each other periodically, but, you know, we didn't really have a sense of where other people were or what they were doing for several years. And then we all started connecting back as soon as, um, you know, with email and then Facebook and so forth. So it's, it's really, yeah, there was a little dark period there. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's interesting. That also happened with me, with the people I went to high school with, you know, you sort of, they, they you know, have no idea where they are or what they're doing. And then social media has brought us uh, back together. So now you sort of on a regular basis know what the, the people that you want to stay connected with, what they're doing and how their families are growing and what they're doing in, in business and life. And it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, there was that whole period when Facebook came in and you're searching for, you know, high school classmates. I wonder what happened to. And right. then and then you're finding all these people who are really great and you should have been friends with them in high school, but you didn't even know them. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. And then now you become friends with them, right? Some of yep. them, some of them you connect with, and and uh, people that you were were never going to be friends with in high school, become uh, people that you can com- communicate with all the time. So my origin story. Yeah. This could this could be a long one. That's okay. <laughs> we have time. Yeah. Um, See, so yeah, I grew up in rural Maine, um, and I wasn't a very good student. I spent summers working, you know, I worked full-time all the way through high school during the summer. And part of what I was doing was working in a sawmill. And, you know, years later, I realized I'm learning a lot about wood. And and I was doing construction back then, too. Um, and I had sort of wanted to be an architect, but, you know, I did pretty badly <laughs> in high school. And so I kind of forgot about that. You know, my guidance, guidance counselor was always saying, oh, you'll never go to college on grades like that, you know. Yeah. How, how did you learn about architecture and what an architect was? Because I'm always interested in that. You know, I don't really know. I mean, I, I would there. sit there and I would sit there in class and daydream. Uh, daydreaming is, of course, when you're thinking in school and it's generally discouraged. Um, <laughs> but I would I would. I would think about the room I was in and, oh, if this were my house or my bedroom, how would I arrange things? Um, you know, build a loft bed over there. Maybe that would be a good spot for the kitchen because of the way the light came in. So it's always been sort of my way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't think I was really aware of, you know, great works of architecture. I had a pile of like Better Homes and Gardens magazines from the 50s or 60s that I had come across. And of course, I wanted to redesign my basement to make it a hip, cool pad, you know, with shag carpet and everything. Um, But I was also, during high school, I was always building things. I I built a really cool rabbit hutch with a poop collection device, and I'd collect the rabbit poop into my worm bin, and then I'd raise worms and sell them to the campers down the road. And, you know, I was always building things. I built two cabins by the time I was probably 15, 
one of them stood for about 30 years. <laughs> wow. um, so I was always building things instead of studying for biology or English. Um, after high school, let's see, I went to a prep school for a year, which was my first taste of college level classes. And that, you know, sense that you have to be there for your class and you don't have to, you know, ride along, do a long bus ride. You don't have to do all that high school-y type stuff. And I really flourished with that and discovered that, um, hey, I like school. <laughs> and then I spent a year at Castleton State College and discovered that uh, I really liked competitive cross-country skiing as opposed to going to my classes. Um, but I really, there wasn't much academic rigor there. I was going to be studying art and business, I think, dual major. I lasted about a year, realized um, I could skip half my classes and still make the dean's list and have a good time skiing. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't so great. And then I, so then I got a job drafting at a civil engineering firm that next summer. And I, I've always loved drafting and drawing. I did the high school drafting courses. Um, and at some point during that year, I was considering going to school to become a civil engineer and some architects drawings came across my desk and that kind of like set my heart racing again. So I had, I ended up taking, not going back to, um, Castleton state college and instead taking the whole year off working for that firm. And then I applied to some architecture schools because my, at that point, with the with the prep school and Castleton State, I had really good academic re record all of a sudden. So I got into Roger Williams. Um, I went there. It seemed a good fit. It was, I mean, for a kid from rural Maine, there wasn't a lot of choice back then for architecture schools. Um, there's a bunch more have popped up since. So I went there and immediately found the rigor that I was look was lacking in previous. Um, schools. And yeah, our class, you know, like every architecture class, we were thrown off the deep end and right. a bunch of us uh, flourished and a bunch of us floundered. Yeah. As, as designed, right? First year architecture yeah. school, they want to get the, the ones out who aren't going to make it and the ones who have some, um, some possibility they allow to, to continue on. And I totally wouldn't have made it if I was, you know, 18 year old right out of high school. Um, I really think the uh, the arch the architecture the academic model is so rigorous and intense that you know anybody who's listening to this who hasn't gone to architecture school yet um, don't go straight out of high school. <laughs> and I think the profession is recognizing that they're doing more of a a lot of schools are doing sort of a bachelor, which is um, a much more general education type degree. So you really get the college experience and then turning it into a master's afterwards. But after five years of architecture school um, and seven years of total school, I was so burnt out that I, I fled to Vermont. It was also a bit of a recession. There weren't many jobs out there. And the only job offer I had was from Vermont. And I was ready to go back there and ski and hike and just uh, chill out for a bit. Um, so I went to Vermont. I started working for an architect there, mostly just drafting. And I was good at that, but it was really kind of boring. <laughs> and I remember having this um, a moment when I was drawing a detail, and I was drawing bitchathene at eaves and valleys. We've probably all written that note. 
And I'm like, what the heck is bitchathene? <laughs> so at some point, um, you know, it was, it was just a, you know, I was working for a sole practitioner like myself and, you know, sometimes I'd show up on a Friday and he'd say, oh, there's no more work. And, you know, I'd get like laid off for weeks at a time. And so I was also, I should also mention that after all those years in school, um, I, my fifth and final year, basically I put on credit cards just cause I wanted to get through so bad. So I graduated with a lot of debt. Mm -hmm. So I ne needed a job immediately. And this job didn't, you know, I was getting nine bucks an hour, no benefits and even, you know, going further into the hole. Um, so I started working for, um, I took a job with a builder, Mendel and Morse builders. Um, and immediately made friends, had a lot of fun. And all the guys on that crew are still really good friends to this day. In fact, Steve Mendel, I, I talked to nearly every afternoon on the phone. He's retired now. He wants to call me up and tell me about his tractor and stuff like that. <laughs> Guess what I did? I took a nap. Fine, Steve. I'm trying to work. Go away. So, so why, did, why did you go to a builder rather than another architect? Was it because you it, wanted to or was it because that was sort of the moment in time that that was the job that was, was exactly available. that was more it i was i was feeling still kind of burnt out on architecture and where am i going with this and um and it you know just working in an office eight hours a day trying to be productive it was hard for me even in architecture school i would have these super intense periods of high productivity and then i'd go off and play hacky sack for way too long out in the hall I remember. Um, and, then, <laughs> and then everybody everybody would get pissed at me because I'd have these great presentations and they, they never they never saw me at my desk. So um but that's how I work and it's not really conducive to, you know, sitting at a desk in an office eight hours a day. Yeah, or working working for other people who are sort of counting really? their hours, right? Exactly. Yeah. If you can get five productive hours out of me a day, you're doing pretty good. Um so yeah, it was the job that came along and I needed a job. I was flat broke and it sounded like it, well, it didn't sound like fun. It sounded like something I could learn from. As it turned out, I was there six years, I think, um, in between every now and then I'd take like three months or half a year off and work for another architect and chip away at IDP. Um, and IDP being the, the, well, is it still called that? The no, internship? It's a AXP or AXP, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm an old fart. I can't I don't keep up. It's the intern um, program back in the, the old days. Emerging professionals. Um Yeah, so I was designing and building houses. Um, you know, so sometimes I'd be spending two or three months um back at my apartment at a drafting table, um, working up a set of drawings for the next house we were gonna build. Um and you know, so I considered being a carpenter or going into design build, but really it wasn't, it was too hard. <laughs> you know, those days on the roof where you're just like ready to fall off the roof because you're so exhausted. I realized it wasn't sustainable. I was good at it, but I wasn't great. Um, so I kept on towards the architecture path. And, and at some point, I think around 2000, I had designed a home for some people. We priced it out. It was too expensive. They went with a local builder who said he could do it for a lot less. They got halfway through construction and realized 
they missed what I could do. And they asked the builder I was working for, Mendel and Morse, if they could just hire me to help them with some design issues. And, and that's basically how I went into business. And it just kept being more and more little projects like that. And I did some work with an architect where I actually then took over the construction. I was a GC for a while. And I really didn't like that either. You know, it, it's sort of this gradual process of realize it, realizing that what I'm really good at is is design. I'm a good architect and all the other things are, um, you know, valuable educational tools to help me get there, but they weren't, um, they weren't my real strength. So, so over the next, over the 2000s, um, let's see, I got married, I had kids, all that sort of stuff. I got my license in 2005, I think. So 12 years after architecture school and and I, I, you know, I was in business, but it was more like a lawn mowing business, you know, like where <laughs> I had a business card. I had never really like filed with anybody. You know, it's just sort of doing jobs as they came along. Um, and, you know, for, and time was flying by and suddenly around 2009, I'm thinking, geez, this, I should be more official. So I went to the small business administration um, SB small business development corporation or something like that for the town. They set me up with an LLC, gave me all sorts of advice about growing my business and writing a business plan and all sorts of, you know, that sort of stuff. They didn't know much about actually running a business. They didn't know anything about say professional liability insurance. <laughs> um, so at that point I was much more official and, um, and I started getting into around here, there's a really high level of builders and we can talk more about this, you know, when we talk about running a firm in rural Vermont, or maybe this is a segue. Um, the builders around here are often people with very advanced degrees who kind of got flung out of academia and became builders or, you know, that's, there's a lot of those stories, a lot of artists and so forth. So we're dealing with um, a very intellectually high level of builders who are also very interested in green building, super installations. So, um, naturally that became my focus and speciality. And, and so, you know, at this point I've done a few hundred projects all over the Northeast, really. I'm actually licensed in Maine and Massachusetts as well. Um, and so it seems my business seems to have morphed into high performance homes, plus a lot of decks and <laughs> porches and all the little crap that no real architect would ever touch. So, so with the high performance homes, did did that happen intentionally, or did that again sort of was it an evolution of the steps that you were taking to just that was the next step that I needed to take because that was the type of builder that I was working with. Yeah. I mean, it was sort of hand in hand with the builders that I know and work with. Um, and I think a lot of architects would probably have the, a similar story. Um, builders around here are, you know, they're going to um, conferences and seminars. They're learning about green building. They're actively involved in that community. And, you know, it's all, it's not just me alone trying to force, you know, my ideas on them. It's we're all together in mm -hmm. it. 
So. Yeah. And you, you collaborate a lot with contractors, right? I mean, that's sort of part of your business model. Yeah, it, it, it's, I'm realizing that my, my whole way of business is really evolved out of working with builders, um, you know, back when I was a carpenter, you know, long before all this information, Entree Architect and all that were, all, all that was available. I basically crafted my business, um, you know, not from coming out of working in an architecture firm and taking those processes and, and ways of doing things, but I came at it, um, more from a, a different angle. You know, I, I, I can't say that I learned a lot working for other architects. Um, so, you know, just in terms of even how I communicate with clients, how I communicate with builders, the paperwork that I do and use, just the whole, the whole construction sequence is probably much more design build than traditional architect led yeah. design design. And I think, I think that makes a lot of sense seeing your story, you know, understanding your story and where you came from and, and the, the, uh, starting in construction and then going back to construction. And cause it, it seems like that's, that's where you kept being pulled, which is interesting because, you know, you kept getting pulled back to construction, which means that there's some, there was some connection there, something that you liked about it, something that, that attracted you to it. Um, but at the same time you had said that, what you really like doing is the design and, and not the construction. You like the, the being the architect part of it. And so the two pieces together have resulted in where you are today. Yeah. And it's like when I was a carpenter, I was absolutely terrible at finish work. So, you know, keep me away from that sort of thing. But um, where I found my strength as a carpenter was more in a leadership role where I'd keep the flow going, keep the dance going and, you know, just watch what other people are doing and step in and, you know, support them and, you know, order materials, keep, you know, get it on site in time, just sort of that flow. But my true passion is really about, um, pure architecture, pure design, you know, that creating that higher level of, of emotional, um, hit when you walk into something that I've designed, you know, I'm always going for that, you know, it's sort of that I was at a, in a Frank Lloyd Wright house in, in Minnesota a few weeks ago. And it was like a two hour masterclass just walking around in that place. And I was there with a bunch of builders and they were walking around with their jaws dropped too. It was much more fun than being there with a bunch of architects, but just realizing, you know, it sort of rekindled, rekindled what, what I try for, in my own work and my higher passion and yeah, craft is a passion. Energy efficiency is a passion, but what really motivates me is, is trying to create those spaces that are just so above and beyond that, you know, somebody walks into something I've designed and I don't want them to say, wow, this is really awesome. This is really great. I want them to just be speechless. Yeah, That's sort of my, yeah. that's my higher purpose in this whole um, career path. And so I'm trying to focus more on, and people are starting to come to me for design who, who want that, who want what I can do, which is, that was an eye opener this year as well. I did several interviews with potential clients and it wasn't about, they want something that works well. They want something energy efficient. They wanted that something more. And I'm thinking, Oh man, I should pay attention to this. <laughs> 
because you know maybe this is the second half of my career is you know reaching that higher level right if if that's the ideal client that you are attracted to and that you work well with then that's you need to identify what it is about those people and what uh, is attracting them to you and what is what is attracting you to them uh, specifically identify that and then create a brand around that so it, it attracts more of those ideal clients yeah and I realize you know so much of what I've I mean my website the way I communicate my social media presence is really it's like this long buildup towards that I have an excellent foundation mm-hmm. um, I, you know I I it's like on Instagram, I always hashtag everything with Vermont architect to the point where I almost own that hashtag. Right. There's probably other architects out there who are kind of ticked off at me. Well, but that's a strategy. I mean, that, that you did that with your website. Your website is, is you know, the metadata there is Vermont architect. Uh, yep. it's, it's The website is bluetimecollaborative.com. If anybody wants to go check it out, he has a great blog too. We'll be right back to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors, RCAT, Gusto, and FreshBooks. It's what many professionals in architecture dread, editing down a manufacturer's specification. (laughs) Did your spine tingle a little bit when I said that? You're staring down a 54-page specification and you only want one product. Just, Just one product and all its attributes. That's it. That's all I want. You know, there's a better way. There is a better way. And it's not throwing the entire specification into your project documents. That's not the right thing to do. RCAT. RCAT is the right thing to do. RCAT's Spec Wizard. Spec Wizard is a patented, one-of-a-kind, automated spec writing tool that allows you to specify a product in minutes. Not hours. Minutes. Just select the products and the options that you want and generate a three-part CSI specification in your choice of formats. It's that simple, one, two, three, select the the products, select the options, click the button, and boom, you have a three-part CSI specification in minutes. And best of all, this is free. It's free, no email, no registration, none of it. Go to rcat.com today, that's A-R-C-A-T.com, and start building better content today. Payroll and benefits are hard especially when you're a small business like us. You don't have time to be an expert in things like taxes and regulations. And those old school payroll providers, they just aren't built for the way that we work today. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does all the heavy lifting for us, so it's easy for us to get it right. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service for your team. To help support the show here at Entree Architect, Gusto is offering us an exclusive deal. Sign up today and you'll get three months free once you run your first payroll. That's three months for free. Just go to EntreeArchitect.com Gusto. That's EntreeArchitect.com G-U-S-T-O and claim your free three months of payroll processing today. That's EntreeArchitect.com Gusto. Do you remember when you started your small firm? It was not easy. It took lots of late nights, lots of early mornings, and maybe an occasional all-nighter. Bottom line, you have been insanely busy ever since. So why not make things a little bit easier? Well, our friends at FreshBooks 
have the solution. FreshBooks invoicing and accounting software is designed specifically for small business owners like us. It's simple, intuitive, and keeps you way more organized than the dusty shoebox filled with crumpled receipts. Create and send professional-looking invoices in 30 seconds, and then get them paid two times faster with automated online payments. File expenses even quicker and keep them perfectly organized for tax time. And the best part, FreshBooks grows alongside your business. So you'll always have the tools you need when you need them without ever having to learn the ins and outs of accounting. Join the 24 million people who've used FreshBooks. Try it for free for 30 days, no catch, no credit card, free 30 days. Visit entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks and enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section to get started. That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. RCAT, Gusto, and FreshBooks. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. The question I wanted to ask is, what um, what are you doing specifically to get to the point where you are now, where people are coming to you for that? Is it was it sort of an evolution of all those other things that you've done and the connections you've made and the networking that you've done and the social media? Is that sort of just becoming a you know a uh, you know it's coming to a head? That's yeah, coming to a head. That's a really great way of putting it. Um, yeah, I mean, I started a blog. Uh, it's been a while, <laughs> like uh, 2009 maybe. And it was really, you know, at the first part of it, you know, I always sit down and write out, you know, I don't do business plans. I write out, you know, where do I want to be? What do I want to do? And what do I want to say? And I started the blog with some writing about what it's like to be an architect and the things I think about and just sort of put it out there. And it became very successful and attracted a lot of attention. And, you know, I get clients who call me up and say, I've read everything that you wrote. And it's, which is a little freaky because I haven't read everything. <laughs> I, wrote. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So, and I, I'm, I'm less active on the blog now. And I think that I'm more active on Instagram. Um, it has its limitations, but it really seems to be, it's a place where I connect with uh, just the right clients, but also I'm, I'm really starting to connect. There's a lot of builders. There's a lot of craftspeople on that. I'm start, starting to connect with them and expand my range. But yeah, bringing everything to a head, there's just, you know, it's like I said, I have so much, some, such a foundation as a brand. You know, I, I didn't know I was doing it at the time, but it's, you know, I was floundering all the way. And it's just recently that I'm realizing um, that yeah, I need to focus in more and maybe say no to um, some of the projects that I would normally say yes to. <laughs> Somebody from Texas wanted me to design them a house and they were practically begging me. And I said, no, I know nothing about Texas. I'm very, you know, cl climate, the climate of New England, I'm very, very focused on. It's very, very much a part of my, um, how I think. And Texas is just a foreign country to me. Yeah, I mean, you um, you were you are over time defining your target market. You've built your brand. You've defined your target market. That target market is now finding your brand, 
and it's starting yes. to pay off. And and it sounds like some of that was just evolution, and some of that was intentional. I know that a lot of your social media work is very intentional, um, and and because I've seen the evolution, you've been doing it a long time, um, starting with the blog and building a website that sort of resonates with the clients that you're looking for, um, working on Instagram and and uh, Facebook. Um, how important as a as a rural architect is it to sort of get out beyond your four walls? It's hugely important. Um, and where I live, the Brattleboro area has fairly low incomes. There's not much going on here for building. Um, all the commercial stuff seems to be sucked up by out-of-town architects um, and the bigger firms. And as a sole practitioner, you know, I really have no access to any of that. So I'm really... You know, at, at this point, I'm fine with focusing on residential. Um, but even in town, I, I'm known as Charlotte's dad or Rochelle's husband. You know, <laughs> people don't know I'm an architect, so I don't do a very good job locally. But, um, you know, I'm an architect. I don't have to work within a half hour's drive of where I live. So I have a network of, I have a network of builders and craftspeople all over Vermont who want to work with me. You know, I just did a, a house for a builder way up northern Vermont. I haven't even seen the house yet. But he came down to me because he didn't because he liked what I can do and he had worked with a bunch of other architects up there but um just wasn't as comfortable with them. And I mean I put myself out there to New England, but really most of my work has been in Vermont. And so the clients I seem to be attracting now are people who are coming from away and have some connection to Vermont and want to build something here, you know, for retirement or maybe they have kids and they're just tired of their kids growing up in some big city where they are. So, you know, clearly they find me on the, on the internet. I'm incredibly Googleable. <laughs> helps to have a slightly unusual name and it helps to have used Vermont architect for so many years. Yeah. I, identifying that brand and, and over time, the, the time is also important. You know, there's a, there's a patience factor that needs to, to happen here that, that when you decide what that brand is and you stay consistent over many, many years, that starts to pay off, uh, later, later in, in time. And I, and I think that a lot of architects get frustrated right away when things don't go the way they expected them to go. Um, we've been doing this for a long time now, right? You and I, and, and, um, it's just now that things are starting to, to the pieces of the puzzle are starting to fall into their correct places. And, and you're starting to see some of that hard work pay off. Um, that network that you built with contractors and the social media work and the online work that you've done is all, is all coming to a head. And so, um, if you were to, talk to some other um, architects that are in rural, rural, rural areas throughout the United States. Maybe they're in Kansas or they're uh, in Nebraska or North Dakota or, or, you know, New Mexico, and they don't have a lot of, you know, local work. What would you suggest to them? Um, there's been, you know, if any of our listeners are on the Entree Architect Facebook page, there's a ton of great advice in there. And one of the things I've really taken away from 
my interactions with all the other architects there is that um, location is is very um, you know a rural architect definitely has different issues than an urban architect and you know it's like there's a ton of advice on there a lot of it's really good take what you need but but you know in terms of my own advice um, if I were starting out from scratch um, I would you know if you're a good writer write you know write for the newspaper just get your name out there um, create a nice simple flyer and leave it at all the real estate offices you know mail it out to builders there's so many things you know it's basically low-hanging fruit that you can do um you know i still do the the decks for you know five hundred dollars give me five hundred dollars i'll design you a whole deck and you know for friends and builders because it's it's not very profitable but it's good karma and it comes back I mean, I hope it does. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't honestly say that I've had, you know, much financial success yet, but I'm, you know, I'm trying to set myself up and it's starting to feel like I actually have set myself up for that. Yeah. You but also, like you said, it's, it's taken a long time coming. You, there were some, there were some pretty thin years there. Yeah. And you also knowing you and, 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 and following you on Instagram and, and Facebook, um, you have a very integrated life that you are very focused on your family um, and you're very active with your kids and your wife and you spend a lot of time outdoors um, and you sort of when I define integrated life I talk about you know that the hours within when you work are not as important as the amount of work that you do and, and the the time that you do it isn't isn't as important as the output that you're creating um, which allows you to have this uh, time for your family and time for yourself and time for your dogs and um, how much of that influences the way you uh, have built the architecture firm? It's actually, there's a lot to that. I mean, for, for many years, you know, there's this sort of, you know, I'm, you know, well, a sexism, I'm the man I'm supposed to provide for my family and work 40 to 60 hours. And, you know, I think our generation, we're really, you know, there's a lot of focus on that. And it took me a while, I think, to realize that, um, that, I mean, my wife works, a lot of what I do is to support my, my wife. She works two different jobs. She's doing the board of directors thing. She's, um, a lot of volunteer work and, well, more part of the origin story, I guess. My daughter was born in 2006 and it was a unplanned c-section and suddenly my wife is laying there on the couch <laughs> and i had to do everything and i basically quit work for like a few months and you know it was really hard to get my head around that just and i discovered that wow i'm a really good provider i like doing all the cooking i like doing all the um all the housework well i don't like it but i'm <laughs> I'm the best at doing it. Um, and honestly, there's, there's, I found, you know, it's surprising to me is, is just discovering that it, it took a while to get my head around that, that, you know, and I, now, at this point I tell clients I'm a full-time homemaker. You know, I do all the, or almost all the cooking, the laundry. I wash my wife's massage sheets. She's a massage therapist for one of her jobs. Um, you know, I'm getting, the winter wood supply in, I'm 
taking care of our 48 acres and, you know, just doing all that stuff. And so that's the balance. And that's part of my brand, really. I mean, that's a conversation I have with clients. You know, I'm not sitting in an office with a reception at the you know front desk and a receptionist at the front desk. And, you know, this is who you get if you hire me. You know, and and it, so even that balance is part of my brand. But yeah, I mean, it's I hear this from other people in the architect in the entree architect community that they have they're having you know issues with that balance. And I think a lot of it is just the societal pressure. You're the architect, you earn the money, you you know do all the work. That was a tangent. Where are we going with this? <laughs> well, I, I the reason I bring it up is because you you said that um, that you have not yet been financially successful. That that mm-hmm. the, you haven't seen the amounts of of money that you would you know maybe hoped that you would say. I'm putting words in your mouth, but that was that was the the the, the sentiment that I got. Um, but you're very successful in terms of this integrated life, and I believe because I live that integrated life as well. I'm not as financially successful as I could be as either. Um, and I have chosen to live this integrated life to, to be part of my kid's life on a daily basis, to be, uh, working with my wife on a daily basis. Um, I could go get a job in the big city and make a lot of money and, you know, not focus on entree architects, not focus on my, on my, my family, um, and go make a lot of money. Right. But I chose not to, I chose to be part of my family and to, to grow up a platform that I'm very passionate about and that I think can make a difference in our, in our world. Um, and so I think that success, and that's why I brought that up is, is relevant to a, a definition. You know, success is not always based on the amount of money that you're making. It's really about a, a bigger picture. Yeah. And you know, with age comes the realization that I really couldn't do it any other way. You know, during the recession, 09 or so, I was, I actually did some interviews. I went to Boston and, you know, considered, well, what if I, what if I got a job in a big firm and I was only home on weekends? And it was just so antithetical to my very being. Right, um, right. I mean, it, it relates back to when I first, when I graduated from college and I fled for the woods, you know, I need, I need that. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the, it's tough to earn a living in a rural area. I mean, I think our local median income is family income is around 50,000. And I mean, cars still cost the same amount. Food still costs the same amount. You know, housing is sort of cheaper here than say Atlanta or somewhere. But, um, a lot of people around here are pretty stressed about money and, you know, don't have savings, you know, ret- the idea of retiring, is, you know, not possible for a lot of people. Um, and so, you know, I worry about stuff like that. Uh, but I'm also feeling really encouraged that, um, I feel like this is starting to change. I am, I am, I'm actually finally, and a lot of that is due to Entree Architect really, you know, just, I designed my business in a vacuum, so to speak, Mm -hmm. you know, just based on my own experiences. And I didn't know a lot about what other architects do, what other architects charge. I think my first, um, 
around 2000, I was charging $18 an hour. <laughs> it took me years to figure out how much, you know, this whole notion of billable time versus total time. And, you know, if you're hitting 50% as a solo practitioner, you're doing pretty well. It took me a long time to figure that out. Right. Um, and, and I, I, I think, you know, just being a slightly more experienced person on the entree architect in the architect community, um, I see other people about to make that same mistake or not really understanding the, those sorts of things. And it's, it's, you know, I wish I had had that earlier, but I have it now and I'm working it for all it's worth. <laughs> There's some really great people and, and I've made some really good friends through the entree architect community and we all, um, you know, outside your Facebook group, um, a lot of us get together and, you know, I'm just developing friendships and talking business and talking, I think, and I, I've learned that a lot of people are going through that same struggle. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, and I think by sharing the knowledge among us, um, we can all make more money. Right. And so, yes. so I think that the integrated life and, and all the things that's, you know, that I said, make you a successful person, the money is important. It's very important, right? It, it, it allows us to be better architects. It allows us to live better lives. It allows us to continue to uh, improve our integrated lives. And so the money is very important. Um, and the fact that you've laid this foundation throughout the years, um, some of it intuitive, some of it learned, um, is at the point where you are making more money and it's starting to, to uh, improve um, by these these clients coming to you and the builders coming to you and uh, it's starting to shift. And so the work that you've done on social media and the work that you've done in networking and the, the contacts that you've made with contractors over time, the people that you've met in the community and now are collaborating with, um, those all those things will make you more successful uh, both in terms of life and finances. Yep. And it's a constant retooling of business. I mean, never stagnate. You know, I, I have this long list of things to do. Um, I, at some point, we'll talk about the stock plan business that I'm starting along with along with um, uh, Emily. some other folks, Emily, and, and there's a few others as well. Yeah. Um, that's a whole other yeah. ballgame. When, when, that, when that gets uh, further <laughs> along, we'll have you guys all on at the same time, and we'll talk about that. That's, yeah. a, that's an exciting project. Of, it is really. And, 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 you know, I'm basically, I'm laying the foundation for success for that too. You know, I have this website sitting there just gaining SEO points and I'm hardly touching it, but it's ready to go, you know, yeah. but you know, in terms of, yeah, I think it, a career as a, in a rural area, as an architect, you have a lot fewer opportunities, but it can be you have to make your own opportunities a lot more. You don't have a choice of 50 different firms that you go to work for. You have a choice of two or three maybe, and anything else would be, you know, a hell of a commute. Yeah. Um, so you, it's, in, it's a little bit sink or swim. <laughs> I think a lot of people, you know, I, I've met a lot of young architects um, in this area that really weren't cut out. You know, they started off hanging out their own shingle, but then they quickly went to work for another firm. Yeah. I think, I think it goes back to the, to the foundation and the patience. 
you know, I think those are two really important ingredients in being a rural architect is is understanding that this is going to be a long haul. If that's if that's the the choice that you're going to make, that you're going to start your own firm, um, and you're going to 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 do it from a rural area, the only way that's going to happen is to build a foundation, to build a brand, um, to get get the word out beyond your immediate location of who you are and what you do and your expertise. Um, and over time, continue continue uh, with this consistency and and uh, growth. It will eventually pay off. Yeah, um, yeah. The the time thing is <laughs> is key. It does it does take a lot of time. Yeah. So, Bob, what's one thing you would suggest a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Oh, I prepared for this and I totally forgot what you were. Yeah. Um, it's, it's finding, I mean, it's really, it's, it's finding what you're good at and pursuing it and never stagnating. You know, there's always that next thing you can learn, next thing you can apply. It's always this process of, of fine tuning and, you know, it's, you know, somebody said, oh, wouldn't it be great if you could design your own house? And I thought, no, because that would represent where I was at that point in time. And in five years, I'm going to be so much better. You know, so, yeah. I mean, that that's sort of how I feel about my career. I'm still excited about where things are going. And so I would just say, find that excitement and do what you can to work it. Yeah. Keep moving forward. Yeah. All right. So it's bluetimecollaborative.com is the website. So anybody yep. who wants to go check out Bob and say hello over at Vermont Architect, it's bluetimecollaborative.com. You can find him on Instagram and Facebook. You can just search him up. We'll also have links to this in the show notes. Um, so just go over to the show notes. He is an active member and a moderator over at the Entree Architect community. So thank you for your contributions over there, Bob. Mm -hmm. um, if you wanted to join that group, it's a private group. Only architects and architecture students are permitted to be in there. Uh, which is what makes it so special is that we can have these open, honest conversations on a daily basis over there. If you want to join, you can ask for membership at entrearchitect.com slash group. That'll get you there, entrearchitect.com slash group. We'll send you right to that Facebook group. Bob, this has been a fantastic conversation. I really enjoyed spending some time with you and learning more about you and where you came from and where you're going. Yeah, it's it's great to catch up. We'll have to catch up more offline. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Or your online, knowledge. but not public anyway. So, <laughs> thanks for sharing your knowledge today. Bob. <laughs> Appreciate it. This is episode two hundred eighty nine. If you'd like to access the show notes and uh, all the links that we talked about in this episode, entrearchitect.com slash episode two hundred eighty nine. Please share that link with a friend. That's how we're growing the Entree Architect podcast and, uh, and introducing the Entree Architect platform, our small firm platform, to, uh, to architects around the world by you sharing that link, entrearchitect.com slash episode 289. And I encourage you to seriously consider joining us at the Integrated Life Workshop. This is important. Planning is not optional. It, if you want to succeed uh, and live a life with less stress, Planning is not optional. Uh, invest just five weeks. Five weeks, 90 minutes per week, and I will help you plan for 2020. And I will set up a productivity system. I'll help you do that 
to execute that plan so you can live the best life you can as a small firm architect and live the life that you've always dreamed of living. So enroll now before registration closes. Registration, we're extending it through Monday. So enroll now. Visit entrearchitect.com slash life. That's entrearchitect.com slash L-I-F-E. I hope to see you there. I really do. If you are an entrepreneur architect and you run or own your own small firm, then you are an entree architect. And I encourage you to build a better business so you can be a better architect. Love, learn, and share what you know. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. 
<laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.